0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Book of Very, Very Bad Things podcast. I'm your host, Peter, and I am still here. And tonight, I have with me a photographer that has had relationships and taken myriad photos with the likes of Amon Ra, Converge, Neurosis, uh, you name the greats in the aggressive music underground today. And he has photographed their shows, uh, been basically a fly on the wall almost, uh, insofar as his presence at these shows, not being obtrusive, truly being kind of at one with the sonic landscape and, uh, transcribing what he hears through his lens and, uh, taking some astounding visual stills in mostly black and white uh, of these amazing artists when they're at their most intense, raw, and visceral while they're playing music. The artist in question is named Benedetto Manzella. Tonight we weave through how he came to become a photographer his first exposure to photography within the context of metal shows. Um, Growing up in a small port town, experiencing punk hardcore and metal for the first time, uh, all the way through, uh, basically from childhood until today. Um, I know a lot of you have not, heard this gentleman's name, but I can pretty much guarantee if you're a fan of any of the bands that we discuss, you've seen some of his artwork. I hope you're enjoying the video segment that is attached to the podcast. Um, with the exception of one episode this season, all of the rest have video accompanying them. We have moved from our previous pod hosting platform to Spotify for podcasters. What does that mean to you? Not very much, except for the fact that if you are indeed a Spotify subscriber, not only can you listen to the podcast on your Spotify app, but you can watch the video version there as well. You don't have to schlep over to YouTube to do it. It's all inclusive. It's all in one space. Without further ado, I give to you Benedetto on the book of Very Very Bad Things Podcast. This episode of the Book of Very, Very Bad Things podcast has been brought to you by our sponsors at Sweet Cheetah Publicity. Sweet Cheetah is a PR collective that values people over profit. They put a different spin on public relations by working primarily with friends and using all profits to aid charitable organizations with a roster that includes Jawbox, the New Amsterdam's, Briniac, Get Some, Funeral Date, Damien Dunn, and many more artists, record labels, and podcasts. Sweet Cheetah, that's a great PR cohort. You can find them on social media by simply searching Sweet Cheetah PR, and they'll be there. He's been Tim, I've been Peter, and Sweet Cheetah has been beautiful. Right off the bat, we um, when we go through your uh, social media, it is just wall-to-wall photographs of bands from hardcore and metal uh done in such a way that it almost it's very reminiscent of analog are you shooting in analog or is this all digital photography
1: um i started using a digital camera um honestly just because that's what i needed to be available uh like i had started going to shows kind of like anybody does usually when you're a teenager so I, i started going when i was like 13. I, I had been to a handful of shows of a kid just because of like being taken by my uncle, stuff like that. But like, I mean, like going with friends or like going by myself. And it was one of those things where I saw photographers and it was just like, hey, like I could probably try my hand at that. Yeah. And so my 17th birthday came up. It was the morning of my birthday, and my mom was like, Look, things have been crazy lately. What's one thing you'd want for your birthday? Well, we'll go out and get it right now. And so I just, you know, you shoot your shot. It's like, yeah. I'd kind of like a camera. I mean, if, <laughs> I'm not, you know, asking for like a $3,000 camera. I totally understand it has to be within limits, but like, is that possible? Mm-hmm. So I got my first digital camera. And I found the email for Cynic's PR person at the time, and I was going to go see them in about a month. I don't think I'd even used the camera once yet, but I sent the email. (laughs) Now, I was blunt. I was totally blunt. I said, look, I'm just a a kid with a camera, not expecting special treatment. I'm buying my own ticket. If you guys like the photos and decide to use them, I would love it. If you hate every photo, I totally understand. Hmm. But hear me out and I appreciate the opportunity if it's possible. And they granted it to me two days later. They're like, Yeah, the pass will be at the box office, just do your thing. Wow.
0: And so <clears throat> you you took your shot, not this isn't like a local band. This is Cynic. This, this yeah. is a very known, very celebrated death metal band. Exactly. And, you know, so you started like like you skipped you skipped the farm team and went right into at least triple a ball at that point. <laughs>
1: oh yeah. No, I, I was not like, you know, trying to inch my way in. Right. I, I was going to be in where I wanted to be and I was going to pick exactly what I was shooting or I was not going to do it. That That's very
0: reminiscent of like, you know, my, uh, origin story with doing, uh, fanzines you know yeah I just started but there was no email back in those days it was letter writing yeah same kind of thing just I was going right for the top uh
1: top of the heap type artists and I got most of them well I I think you know there's there's an honor in that honesty Mm -hmm. like I said I I told the PR person straight up it's like look (laughs) not acting like I'm anybody important photos are literally going nowhere if you guys choose to not use them yeah it it makes a story for me that's it that's amazing though so that's almost 15 years ago this april oh my god and how old were you then
0: i was 17 i was a senior in high school wow that's amazing where what was the first like uh band though that made you want to like start doing this? Like the first show, what was, what was that? Like, who
1: were the bands? What was the atmosphere? I'm honestly trying to remember. I, I think I just loved being at shows. I mean, when I couldn't even go to shows, I was promoting shows. I was doing my first bit of like street team work when I was 11. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're talking like before any social media was really a big deal. Like yes, the internet was involved, but it was very like dare I say primitive. Oh, it was probably AIM at the time. Yeah. So I'm, you know, signing on to these websites that are, you know, practically considered fossil mm-hmm. level at this point that you tell people and like either their lights their eyes light up and they're like, Oh, I totally remember that or people are like, I have no idea what you're talking about.
0: When I explain how the internet used to be to uh Younger people, this generation, they, they always say invariably, "Oh, like the dark web."
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, dude, like the dark web, because the internet <laughs> used to be just like the dark web is now.
1: Everybody knew coding; it was just, it was just a zoo. Yeah, it,
0: like remember, there was stuff, there was stuff on the internet back then that was absolutely just. Yeah, I can't believe it. Like Dan's Gallery of the Grotesque or Deathvac.com. Like there was some sick, sick stuff out there being consumed openly it was the wild west it was it was it, it, it was some outlaw shit back in the day <laughs> it really was um but you know it it was fun. there was something about it that it felt dangerous, and I dug it it rem- it's how I really got deeply into uh noise music and uh you know uh power electronics, death industrial absolutely I'd, I'd already been into it via like some of the core groups like white house and, and, sure. and things like that i started like going down those rabbit holes when i started looking at the true death websites and stuff like that they kind of yeah. like went hand in hand but that's neither here nor there it was just, it's just a fun memory but back to your story there's a there's a a, a stark contrast that's that you're playing with at all times here with uh, in in terms of the images themselves, it, it's it's never just like, you know, for as many great photographers of of bands like BJ Papas, who was like yeah the the photographer of New York hardcore at large, absolutely. Um, BJ wasn't as legendary, incredible, great action shots, but for every BJ Papas, there's a million, you know, kind of just pedestrian photographers but uh, I what I find kind of captivating about your work is it is very black and white predominantly am I correct in assuming that it seems like it's mostly black and white and and there's a such a stark contrast to the images themselves very bitey very like I said analog reminiscent um was that something you stumbled into just by accident or
1: or via necessity I'd say it's accident or even, you know, to kind of show my, my art school hand. It's, uh, like the Cartier Brisson, the, the decisive moment sort mm-hmm. of thing. Um, I, I'm completely self taught with a camera. It's all shooting from the hip. But, um, I took the opportunity to try to get some sort of extracurricular education. I, I have gone to art school, but before I did that, I went into like a less formal sort of residency, Mm -hmm. if you will, for three months that I did in uh, Nuremberg.
0: (laughs) In Nuremberg. Yeah. How? Walk me through
1: that. I'll I'll give you some context. So, okay, I, I mean, I think. The more people get to know me, rather than just knowing, you know, I'm one of many people into this alternative music, however you want to word it. Um, I'm. I don't mean to act like you know, oh, I'm a snowflake because we're all so special, but I am a bit of an anomaly at times. Um, I grew up in a relatively small town that's in Los Angeles, so like, I, I. categorically say I'm from LA for, to give people context, to not take them down the rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. But if they're from the area, I explain, I'm from the end of the freeway. I'm from the small port town that nobody goes to, or that like people go to because they're going on a cruise mm-hmm. or because they're going to the fish market. That's all you go here for. There is not much to do here when you grow up. <laughs> so either you fall in line, and, you know, you go to either the private school or the public school that everybody knows. You play football, you get married, you become a longshoreman, and your body's broken by 50. But, hey, you got a pension or a retirement fund, and you got your uh, your uh, SUV out in front, you're set. I was into martial arts. Mm, me too. <laughs> I hated hot weather. Mm-hmm. I didn't like hanging out at the beach. I liked ice hockey, and I liked metal music. And yeah. that all did not meet the bill from the moment out the gate. <laughs> so it was pretty clear that I needed to get out. Yeah. And that was goal number one from, like, seven years old. So I, I did what I could. I um, I'll skip over some things for brevity's sake. But I, I joined a nonprofit when I was nineteen, and um, that's partly how I got this opportunity for this sort of artist residency thing. I was in like my fifth or sixth year working in this nonprofit. I'd worked in various parts of the world. I worked in Norway for a short time. I had been to Thailand, Japan, and there was all these different work projects that I was doing but um, I had met some artists along the way during a stopover a time when I was in Germany at a town called Herrenhut. It's like 30 minutes away from Czech Republic. And so the artists, they, they announced they were doing this residency thing in Nuremberg. And I was contemplating leaving the nonprofit at the time, but this seemed like an exciting opportunity. And I'd already shot shows for, I think, five years at that point maybe a little longer, but I'd never had any schooling and I knew everybody who was running the school. Mm-hmm. So I just figured, you know, let's, let's take a chance. Um, and they wanted me to have a film camera. I'd never picked up a film camera other than a disposable camera. So, you know, I got the cheapest thing I could find cause that was all I could afford. Mm-hmm. I found an old like Pentax camera for like 70 bucks or something, I think on eBay not even knowing if it would work, (laughs) and I flew to Nuremberg with it in my bag, not having used it once, and um, I just kind of fell in love with it, you know, it, it like aesthetically and the image making of it all made sense to me. Yeah. The slowing down of film, the needing to have intent involved in every single photo you take. Not just because you want to be decisive in how you want something to look. It's going to cost you money. Yeah. The moment you hit that button, that's cash out your pocket. So you better make it count. <laughs> you better hope that that focus is dialed in. You better hope your thumb didn't rub on the lens right before you hit the trigger. You have to mean what you are making in that moment. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is not you know the, a the smartphone days where you're just tapping away, holding the button. You got 700 photos taken for you. It's gonna <laughs> count for something.
0: Yeah, there's a lot on the line with with something like that. With a uh, especially if you're not you know developing on your own. Yeah, and and you don't have a dark room at your disposal like you. You're paying a lot of money for that. Well, and um,
1: sometimes having a dark room at your disposal is even worse if you're a beginner. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Trying to get that stuff open in the dark, <laughs> trying to make sure you got the chemicals sorted. It's just, it's a murder scene.
0: I know. And, you know, having grown up uh, in an era when shop class, part of that was uh, we learned how to run a dark room and how to develop film and how to print photos. I mean that was just when I was in high school that was something you did that was a part of it. Um, That went away I think in the school district I'd attended in the mid-90s so I I was one of the last gasps of of that. Uh, But to me there's something about that whole I I guess you could call it a, a ritual. Oh, definitely. Of developing your own film and and printing your own photos. But I can't imagine the culture shock of of going from this small town in L.A. to, you know, the
1: home of the Nazi trials. Yeah. I was minutes away from a stadium that used to have, like, regular Hitler meetings. Mm -hmm. I, I was probably, I think they said, like, 10 minutes away by walk.
0: Now, culturally, what was how did you find the city? Like walking Um,
1: into it, you know. Mind you, I'm talking about the fall of 2016. So this was a really bizarre time to be there. You know, Uh, not to to name the thing that should not be named, but I I think you know who I'm referencing. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, You know, he's been spewing his campaign and. I think pretty much anybody that had been observing the mess that is our political system kind of knew he might be exactly what we deserved and what we were getting, (laughs) but didn't want to admit it either. Yeah. And, uh, I, I, remember this defining moment. So as I said, I had been in Nuremberg, but, um, we were all supposed to take this brief trip to Paris for a photo conference. And along the way, because I'm me, I found out that Neurosis was playing in London a few days before then. So what did I prioritize?
0: Oh, Neurosis. Exactly. My all-time favorite
1: band, of course. Of course you would. (laughs) I bought a 10-euro Ryanair ticket from Nuremberg to London because I love cheap flights in Europe. I I miss that terribly. Mm -hmm. So I take this 10-euro flight to Gatwick Airport. I get there in the middle of the night. Customs is looking at me like I'm this stark raving maniac because I'm only going to be in London for like a day. Mm -hmm. And it's solely to shoot a show for no money at all. And he just does not believe me at all. He's like, you're just, you got criminal written all over your face. This is just (laughs) not flying. I'm like on the edge of missing the one bus ticket that I have to get into London I'm supposed to be at this hostel that I don't know if I'm going to get let into. It's, it's just a train wreck from the beginning, but I eventually get let through. Uh, luckily, the bus ticket was kind of forgiving because it was the middle of the night. They weren't that, like, stringent on checking stuff. So I got to London in the middle of nowhere, walked to my hostel in the rain. And luckily, I had enough foresight to email ahead of time that I was going to be late. And the night manager was kind enough to be waiting for me. Oh, wow, that's cool. But um, we get there, we sort this all out, and uh, it's two days later. I've shot this amazing show of neurosis and earth at this beautiful theater in Camden. I wake up, and I'm in Paris, and I'm, like, just, you know, just delirious. I look at my phone. First thing I see is that Leonard Cohen had died. Ugh. The second thing I see is that Trump is the president.
2: Oh my like, god.
1: Can I go back to bed? <laughs> I want to <a> do over. <laughs> this is not how I want to wake up.
0: Oh my god. I I I don't know if I would have come home after that. This
1: this doesn't work.
0: <laughs> there, there 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 are certain definitive moments in every human being's life. I I know I can count at least a dozen. Uh, where I knew that my world was never going to be the same again. Uh, sadly, we share that moment. Obviously, I was not abroad during uh, that time period, but most certainly uh, I woke up that morning and, and, and he was president. And I knew that things were going to be a lot worse. <laughs> and I was, I was right. Yeah. So um, you've been making, like, uh, uh, maybe not a, a, a full-time career out of this, but you've, you, it's been, like, your mission, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I always go back to I, – I was a musician first. I played drums for uh, 20 years at this point. I just – I never had the good fortune to find enough people to get to be in a committed band with. And the thing with doing the photos and having done, like, street team stuff was I'm going to be committed to this stuff in some way. So if I'm not actively putting out music, I'm going to be documenting it. I'm going to be talking about it. I'm doing something productive. Yeah. Because even before I did the photos, um, I had, you know, in the age of WordPress being free, I just started a blog out of nowhere when I was still like a freshman in high school and not having any way to promote it, nothing. I just would write reviews completely unprompted, not necessarily even about new stuff. I did like a 10, I did a 10 part series on the Swedish band Catatonia just cause I could. Oh God.
0: Well, that's the, I mean, what a, what a phenomenal subject they catatonia have been what, like at least five different bands at this point, have like started out like when brave murder, brave murder day and, and all that stuff, they were like a a doom band. Yeah. Death doom Um, of its earliest variety. Yeah. And turning into, uh, just more, I don't know, like an alternative doom band almost. And then into space rock and, and psychedelia like, they've been so many different bands. Right. The funny part about that is, they've been great the whole way,
1: and it's hard to find that.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, I think Caven are a great example of that as well, having you know switch styles and sounds up so so frequently. Sure. Uh, But remaining very very good. Yeah. The whole way, and I can't think of many other bands that really uh, matched that sort of uh, quantity. Yeah, I mean.
1: It's. It was one of those things where I, I had a friend that kind of started beating the pathway that I did in getting to very Eurocentric metal, and then I just kind of kept broadening it as I had time to, but Catatonia is one of those bands that's always remained in my wheelhouse, and so that was... I think it was around the release of their record, Night is the New Day. And so what I did was I covered their entire discography. And then I ended the series because it was the first time I would see them live. So it was like a mixed live review as well as my review of their latest record. And, you know, I have no idea to this day how many people read it. Mm -hmm. But like my Vegas memory was that like 400 people had read the final article and like one of the persons that supposedly it tracked was like from Saudi Arabia. Jesus. I'm like, okay, that's cool. Mm -hmm. I possibly entertained one Catatonia fan in Saudi Arabia or at least bizarrely treated someone to my opinion of Catatonia. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: Oh, man. I actually really kind of pine for when music like that was, I guess, still popular. I'm sure it is popular in its own way, but I, through a very skewed lens in my own mind, uh, in the late 90s, everything was really starting to ramp up for sure. uh, Century Media and, you know, Napalm Records, uh, all, the, all of them, uh, Nuclear yeah. Blast. Relapse was having a very big renaissance.
1: Oh, those um, are some of the best years of Relapse. I, yeah. I will say that till my dying day, that is some of the best time of Relapse records.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, considering Brutal Truth were still very, very much uh, a touring mechanism. Uh, yeah. They were. I played with them a bunch of times uh, during that period, when with my old Grindcore band, and okay. man, they were. Like it was, it, they they were a, f- a force of nature almost. Yeah. Um. But you know, I I pine for those days not not because everything is bad now or something because music I I would argue is actually better in a lot of ways now than it was then. But sure. I think I don't know. I I think it it's because all it was so new. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the like these things had existed, precursor to even when. You know, I was old enough to start going to shows, really, but it was, it was dangerous. It was, it was, you could still got fucked with for going to these shows. You still. Oh, definitely. You know, like I I vividly remember getting the shit beat out of me going to school, you know, with a skateboard in one hand and like a a, a napalm death t-shirt on and getting called a Satanist, a freak, and a few other euphemisms that I honestly won't repeat because they're you know, derogatory towards, uh, homosexuals. Yeah. But, um, y- you know, I think that was part of the fun too. <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> uh, you being, know. uh, being other for a, a cisgendered white male, there was no other time in my life uh, where like, you know, having lived, growing up in privilege, basically, even though we were poor, there, if you're white, you grew up in some sort of privilege. Let's face sure. it. Um, it was the first First time I could really like empathize with people uh, for being other, yeah. And, and it gave me a really great, you know, viewpoint into what it was really like for my uncle at the time and my cousins who were people of color. And you know, I think I needed that uh, because it molded my viewpoint and and certainly informed my worldview. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> no. yeah, it's a it's an involuntary education. I'm I'm glad of it. I I envy the youth now because nothing shocking, as James <laughs> Addiction said. Uh, th- there's not much you can do now to really, I don't know, freak people out outside of being trans because that's still a hot button thing. But, um. Was it like that in, in your very small town as well? I'm assuming.
1: Well, um, I. So here's the thing, my my skin tone is my great cloak. I'm Mexican and Italian. Mm-hmm. Uh, my grandparents uh, both immigrated from Italy, both different parts. My grandfather's from Sicily. My grandmother's from Naples. My Mexican family is from south of Mexico, uh, Michoacan specifically. So, I had the, whether you call it misfortune or privilege, to come out more fair than some of my relatives. Mm -hmm. So, depending on where I go, many people, you know, see me as the, dare I say, upstanding white man. Mm -hmm. And then, if I'm in the right lighting or the right room, The older, whether it's a Mexican gentleman, Guatemalan, you know, someone of Latino or Hispanic descent, not to get too much into the census terms, will come over to me painstakingly rapid-firing Spanish at me, and I have to admit that my very much immigrant but very devoted American family never had the kindness to teach me Spanish, (laughs) and I have to apologize that they have chosen the wrong person To seek help from. Yeah. (laughs) To which they either shake their head, call me a disgrace, Mm -hmm. or just walk away. Wow. (laughs) And mind you, the small town that I'm in is also its own little microcosm because it's, like I said, it's a port town. So naturally, it brought a lot of immigrants. You will meet italians you'll meet croatians you'll meet greeks you'll meet slovakian people you will meet you know that whole mediterranean sector as well as people from all other places because there's fish canneries there's oil refineries so those were the jobs they were able to get yeah so it's it's this you know this car crash of a bunch of cultures (laughs) and you just kind of try to sort out where you fit and then you have the audacity to be into this alternative music that makes you even more othered from all these very traditional, very steeped in values and you know things that go back to in some people's minds the dark ages of how life goes. And you just you know you're you're a square pig trying to fit in a circle. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah,
0: that had to give you. A- Uh, some identity issues uh, in your
1: youth, I'm sure. uh, If if and when those identity issues resolve, call me. No, yeah, it's still still there. Yeah, of course. I
0: I, I often wonder, you know, how it would have shaken out had, say, uh, someone like a Trump had emerged in the 1960s when... We, this nation, was fortunate enough to have someone like uh, Kennedy as president, kind of moving uh, the needle forward for, uh, you know, our culture at large. Let's say Nixon had succeeded to with his initial <laughs> thrust to become president, and Watergate never happened, and, and oh man, we would be a vastly dissimilar nation. We'd be very different. I think we'd be a, a lot more, more of us would be aligned with the right, although sadly there are quite a bit, and, 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 and things would be a lot more uptight and a lot less accepting. It's a blessing, really, the way things kind of shook out, uh, especially for the LGBTQ community, because, I mean, I, I grew up in the late 80s and early 90s, and that was definitely not a time to be loud and proud about anything, no. and and the the few people that I'd known who actually entrusted me with, you know, their state of being, sure, I felt very uh, afraid for them. You know, what
1: I mean? like I, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, growing up, I, I was primarily into metal. I mean, I I had my intro to heavy music in general funneled through both punk and metal. But metal was, like, where I kind of found my initial niche in high school. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, I think you'll agree, especially coming from a martial arts background, the machoism crap, it immediately others you in the metal scene. Oh, yeah. No matter how many times somebody in a black label society vest calls me brother, I'm not their brother. Yeah, yeah, I'm not not your guy. (laughs) (laughs) And they know it. Mm -hmm. They'll say it because it's part of being at the show, but e you don't meet the bill yeah yeah you, you, you there's there's something about the that
0: whole uh mystification of of masculinity as if it's it's something to be proud of like being acting like a barbarian and dressing like a viking or a biker does not a man make i mean no. it's 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 a cloak for a wounded psyche and 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 you know a screaming inner child these are people well, I don't know. Go ahead. I just I just don't get them. I really don't understand them. Uh, I may think their music's all right, but I don't know. Even as much as I love Pantera, I don't really love people who love
1: Pantera. <laughs> it's it's a hard thread to, to needle, man. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, you know, I'll I enjoyed going to see Yamana Marth and you know going to the Pagan Fest tour and whatnot, but like. I'm not under any illusion that I'm an Anglo-Saxon. Right. I know where my roots come from. Uh, likely, the 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 people that I'm supposed to be dressing like or imitating are the people that killed my ancestors. Right. I'm I'm not gonna act like it. It's yeah. it's okay. Yeah. I'm not into that brand of cosplay. Mm-hmm. Thanks, but no thanks. Invitation got lost in the mail. Yeah.
0: But there, there, there's a, a a world of it out there that <clears throat> I think harbors a lot of uh, a lot of less than savory characters too. Oh, I mean, definitely. Like hardcore was definitely a place. Uh, growing up in the hardcore scene in the '80s, uh, in early '90s, there was a lot of Nazis, and they didn't have to hide back then. So we were in a lot of a uh, lot of fistfights with said people. Oh, sure. But even among our ranks who were not Nazis, uh, there was a lot of uh, macho bigotry and sexism that, that occurred on a daily basis, even among the straight-edge vegetarian and vegan kid set, you know? Of course, the people who are going to save the world, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, well, the, the they didn't even think they were really going to save the world. They just thought that they were, you know, elite because they abstained from the evils of... of consuming flesh and 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 you know intoxicants which uh, hey, good for you more power right. to you but i'll be over here getting fucked up and getting laid uh, and and i'm good i'm good on that you know right. what i mean <laughs> that that was you know i was a garbage head uh, there's no getting around it but um I, i'm glad to see that that is uh not really accepted anymore uh at least not not wholesale you yeah, have, you have to go to like something like a black label society show where it's going to get real broy real fast, um, and that reminds me. Yeah, and then we'll get back on to the subject of you. I, I'm on a tangent here, but no worries. This uh, is what these
1: conversations are for.
0: Yeah, um, I just watched a video of that actor Jason Momoa in a quote unquote mosh pit at a right. era show. I, I think I know what you're referencing, and. A dude's not moshing. He's, <laughs> he's he's pogoing and maybe running in a circle. Uh sure. It's not a mosh pit, A. And and B, he may like that kind of music, but it felt like a photo op to me.
1: Here here's my thing with situations like that. The uh the dare I say gospel preached at those events is mm-hmm. that everybody's welcome. Mm-hmm. So is it cool that he's into that music? Sure, of course. If I if I was there that night, it'd be like, hey man, you know, throw up the horns. Let's yeah. check out Metallica. Sweet. Mm-hmm. Um. Second part to that is, who the hell in that venue is going to honestly want to mosh with that dude? They're going to get freaking clobbered. Yeah, they're going to get milled <laughs> right down. Um, but
0: I don't know. Like, people make such a there's such a cult of personality around actors and stuff like that.
1: It's clickbait, man. At the clickbait. end of the day.
0: Yeah. And and well, I think the question that it begs from my end is, you, you know, could a person like that really even hearken back to a time when it wasn't about their own cult of personality enough and shrink that down enough to actually immerse themselves in an experience like that and truly enjoy it? Because he spent the whole show getting his picture taken by people with a yeah. camera in his face and, and, and I don't know, man.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I, I think there's a place in a time to, you know, like it, it would be nice to hear like that answer from a person like that. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, I'm not saying I know these people, but I think actors like uh, Lawrence Fishburne, this person that definitely you say that name, most people know who you're talking about. Yeah. But when he was an unknown struggling actor, was hanging out with people like Basquiat or Keith Herring. And Fishbone. And was truly in the art scene that, you know, is still leaving its mark. Yeah. Even after both the artists I just named off are long dead. Their, their art scene has moved beyond their capability of still creating work, being that they've left this mortal coil. But mm-hmm. I think that's someone that you see that ascended to a certain fame that I hope in my ignorance of not knowing him personally, I hope, remembers who that kid is. Um, That seems to still have a link to that bit of culture. I
0: think he does because he uh, volunteered to narrate the documentary about the band Fishbone. Uh, Who better, because he was friends with them and, you know, he was there for it all. Right. Right. And also, like, you know he didn't get paid much money because Fishbone, even though they were on a major label and were pretty heralded at one time, they're not a commodity. They're not, they're not like, you're not going to make money off of a project like that. That's strictly a passion project. For sure. So uh, something tells me, yeah, he is still connected.
1: I, I think the thing with actors that have ascended to maybe similar fame in this more current era... Mm. It's that they're almost used to having to see themselves as a walking product. Mm. So they get used to this like I'm in sales mode. I need to take the photo. I need to make the Instagram real. I need to do the TikTok. I can't say no to people in public because it's going to become a news bite on TMZ tonight. Yeah, it's It's that they even if they don't choose it they're almost they almost feel forced as like a protection to not become somebody's fodder the next day right i mean i'm sure there are people that get off on it and you know that's that's for them to deal with in their own time but i want to believe that if they even have a genuine passing interest in these you know to bring up that buzzword again alternative cultures it's not by accident they ended up there for some reason or another yeah Possibly the same reason a lot of us end up there. It's just that they ascended to a certain level of fame now where it becomes a subject of conversation that everybody likes to act like, oh, you're into that weird music. I can't believe you're into that wild stuff. <laughs> you know, this day on Good Morning America. Yeah. It's like, look, I'll, I'll admit the clip looks funny, but I'll give you a hall pass yeah. with you get a hall pass for me because I have a feeling there's still some bit of a kid in you there that might have had a Metallica shirt in high school. That for you, being in that weird Instagram thing that nobody will get away from for a few more weeks while they're on tour, that was a big moment for you. Mm-hmm. That you got to be inches away from the band. That you likely got to meet them. That kid in you is freaking the hell out. And it's having the most amazing night of their lives. Now that you're the 40-year-old movie star, well, you know, it gets talked about by everybody like that they were standing next to you. (laughs) And that's unfortunate. I actually, like, feel bad in that moment. That you can't can't just be allowed to be the kid just like, I'm seeing Metallica feet away from me. This is amazing. Yeah.
0: Now, I want to ask you a very very left of center question go for Uh, it now i'm sure you've you've photographed a lot more than just bands i'm sure i'm correct in assuming that
1: um i would actually maybe surprise you in saying i haven't really Um, my intent in ever having a camera in my hands really is to document live music um I appreciate people that, you know, try to make the effort to capture maybe the crowd in some of the shots. Um, I mean, you, you interviewed uh, an acquaintance of mine in Mike Thorne. I oh, love yeah. some of the shots that he gets of the pit. And uh, I don't know if you follow him, Rob Coons. He's based <laughs> out of the Bay Area. The, the photos he gets of the way some kids are dancing at hardcore shows or even some of the thrash shows. I, I totally dig it but that's just not my bag. No. My, my pit is you know, either being in the front or being in the photo pit and taking in what the artist is presenting that night and documenting it as best as I can. Um, I don't know how single focused I can be, but that the reason I wanted to document it is because I wanted to have a clear memory of what I loved about that show. And I hope that, if nothing else, somebody that might have been standing next to me or is, you know, if it's a bigger venue up in the rafters, sees one of my photos and is like, hey, I remember that night and is instantly brought back there and, you know, maybe feels good for five more minutes of their day. Have you ever taken a photo of something
0: uh, that you can't really explain was what I was going to ask? Because I, I know a lot of people, even in, in photographing bands and shows and stuff, where they're like a, a, a disembodied hand where it oh. should never have been or, or, or you know, something of that ilk. I recently, uh, I, I recently saw a video where there was a, a, a high school band playing and there was a very demonic-looking creature behind the guy's half-stack and it wasn't part of the show. Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I... I was kind of wondering if you'd ever come across something like that, because that's a topic of great interest to me.
1: Um, I would not say I have had a ton of that happen, but um, those are some of my favorite photos, the few that I have, where I capture these, whether it's, you know, that the, um, how do I put it, that the shutter goes a little slower than I expect, and I, I, I will say that's kind of one of the beautiful imperfections of digital in that it harkens back to film occasionally where the, the computer maybe doesn't communicate right in the camera. And luckily, it, it brings you back a little bit to analog and it messes up or it glitches out. Yeah. And for someone like me that doesn't want perfection, it's the most satisfying thing to capture. For the people that bow down at the altar of Photoshop, everything—that's mm-hmm. something they're just going to blow to hell and turn into a graphic design project. But so, um, well, what I, I've definitely caught some of that. What you're what you're touching on
0: for sure. What have you captured?
1: Um, I think my best examples uh, partly are from my working with the band Amenra. I'm mm-hmm. actually wearing one of the shirts that I got as a payment when I last worked with them right now. <laughs> um, I, I love those guys dearly, and I, I look forward to any time that I can see them live, whether I have a camera or not. Um, the cathartic nature of their music is something that lends to you probably seeing and feeling certain presences, auras, however you want to call it, in those rooms throughout the night, but particularly during their set. And the the visceral, almost disembodied nature, particularly in, uh, I, I think in every member, but I think you see it most documented, um, particularly through the vocalist Colin. I have some photos where, you know, he's contorting his body and like the, uh, the geometry of it, is not something that's going to make sense to the human eye. Yeah. And I don't really choose to touch up my photos, partly to, to be able to say in these moments when I'm being asked about it, like, that's not an alteration. You're seeing what what happened. Truly candid. Yeah. I I do as little as possible to ensure that what I took was with intent, and the the viewer is seeing it as I intended it, and I'm not uh, I'm not uh, making an artificial visual. We we deal in a lot of artificiality in this world already. Mm-hmm. Just full stop. That's that's not a surprise to anybody. But I, I you know it's an unfortunate truth. So if there's one thing I can do in documenting a band. I'm going to not add a single thing to what they're trying to present to me or to anybody. That's respectful. It's like I said, you know, I, I'm a musician first. I, I go into that room remembering that I could easily not be there. Yeah. It's, it's not, you know, it, it is a privileged position that I get to document it. I'm very aware that I don't need to be there as far as I'm concerned. I'm there because I have a privileged opportunity and I'm going to make the most of it. My responsibility is first to the band, second to the audience, third to myself. And it ends there. It's like, you know, the band is my client, even if they don't know I exist. If, if I've, you know, stumbled into this chance or it's because somebody mentioned me to someone or whatever, I I'm immediately indebted to the band, whether they're, you know, whether I'm on their radar or not. And I yeah. take that very seriously. I, I don't want to ever take even the slightest chance of misrepresenting them in any way.
0: I have a, <clears throat> a photo. Uh I'll, I'll, as soon as I get it digitized, which it's, this is a, a, f- taken with a... Oh, God, I forget the camera now. Oh, it's my old Olympus okay. film, film camera. Uh, it was a neurosis show. And someone who I know who wasn't alive anymore <laughs> was at the show. <clears throat> Impossibly. Impossibly.
1: Hey, it's neurosis, man. So that, that, that's my answer.
0: I, I take the and Steve Von Till knows this story because I told it to him. Um we were at the Trocadero in Philadelphia. Uh my friend had just died like maybe six, eight months beforehand. Uh all all of our favorite band was Neurosis, always. And I'm taking a picture of Scott and Steve uh at front of stage, and there's my friend, like his head is just visible there, standing like just his profile. But yeah, it's very clear. It's a very clear photograph. Uh, I, I don't know how to explain that. I, I don't know if I actually need the explanation, but yeah, it was one of those instances of uh, I, I don't know, proof of something other. Oh, absolutely, which I, I've always believed there is a. Something be like, we're not going to get into like, you know, God, Buddha, or Krishna, or whatever. But there's there's something mystical about human existence.
1: Oh, I I don't know how people can still
0: deny it. I, I have a lot of friends and a lot of people who come on the show who one million percent deny it. And you know, I have a, I have a lot of friends who are atheists and. They're religious atheists, uh, right? As I call them, because they're, they're they're so dedicated to being atheists that they would discount anything spiritual or or mystical that occurs <laughs> right in front of them. Yeah, you know, which is fine. I mean, believe whatever you want. I, I'm good with exactly. That. Man, I've seen too much to just. Straight up say definitively this is or is not. I've just seen too much in life.
1: Oh, uh, same here. Full stop. Oh yeah. <laughs> this well, is, first, well, this I, is like, I don't know if you can see that clearly. Yeah. That is the Souls at Zero. Souls at Zero
0: with the with the arboros around it. Yeah,
1: I I got that the first of the three nights of the 30th anniversary of Neurosis in San Francisco. Got that that morning and saw them play the first of the three shows that weekend my God. That band, I think you'll more than know where I'm going, has left uh, a mark on me that no other band can. Oh, it's so heavy. Have you ever Um, seen this before? I've never seen it this way. I've seen pictures of it.
0: Yeah, this this thing, it weighs about like 40 pounds.
1: It's everything uh, to a certain point. I'm I sad to say I, I had nowhere near the scratch to afford that at the time. Well, yeah, I mean I shouldn't have, but I I already
0: had a, I already had all of these in like triplicate. Certainly. But I just I, I had to have
1: you, it. you couldn't you couldn't pass up on it.
0: I think there's there's only a few of these in existence. This record yeah. is probably one of the most expensive ones on my shelf. This copy of Silver and Blood. I have so much neurosis, man. I yeah. have so much neurosis.
1: I I think... I I luckily found it for a steal. and In my mind, the person that I bought it didn't know how cheaply they were selling it to me. Mm-hmm. But I found an original pressing of Word is Law from oh. Alchemy Records. Oh my god. That's on sick. Discogs. And That's- I... That that's a record I'm never getting rid of. I'm very proud to have that in my collection. As you should be. I have I have first
0: original, I have first presses of every neurosis record, and my copy on Alchemy is uh, not in good shape. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I was actually surprised how good shape that copy was, considering how cheaply the person was selling it. I I just took it as a more than welcome find. Hit that buy it now button and didn't ask questions. Yeah, absolutely. There, don't even worry about it. Just do it.
0: <laughs> but I have um, I've invested so much into these things. Uh, I, I'm very fetishistic about it. But uh, to me, with a few bands, Neurosis being the the top of that heap, even after everything that's happened with yeah. them. Um, it's not them. It's one person. People shouldn't take it out on neurosis at large, but, uh, you know, I have a, a special kind of attachment to that band too. Absolutely. And that binds me with so many other people who've been on this show, uh, from walks of life that, you know, you would never dream that their, you know, favorite band is neurosis. Like, uh, Michael Malarkey from, uh, the show vampire diaries and, and, uh, that uh, project Blue Book. This is his favorite band. Neurosis loves yeah. loves Neurosis. Um, pretty much, you name them. <laughs> like name somebody who who's been on the show. They all have a tie to Neurosis. The band Lycia, they have ties to the band Neurosis. They're friends with members of the yeah. band. <laughs> like it's just they're ubiquitous. They 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 transcend uh, genre, and and like sound and (laughs) I don't, I don't know if there's ever going to be another band quite like them. I think Amon Ra comes
1: very close. Um, the the way I I like to word it is that Amon Ra is kind of, uh, you know, a familial link. I, I I feel okay saying that being that I know the gents in Amon Ra and the way that they have expressed their gratitude to Neurosis in the past. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm very grateful to say that thanks to Amin Ra partly, I, through knowing them and then my previous opportunities, every time I ever saw Neurosis, I had a camera in my hand. Mm -hmm. I saw them 13 times and I photographed them 13 times and I'll, you know, I'll cherish those photos as long as I can. Um, There's a definite through line there. Yeah.
0: I, and one of the best shows I'd ever seen in my life was Neurosis, Amon Ra, and Converge. I, uh, the best triple build that you could ever
1: possibly put together. And that was the first tour I properly worked with Amon Ra, and I, I flew out for the two New York shows. Oh, I was at those. I Naturally, we would be in yeah. the same room without even knowing it.
0: Yeah, of course. Well, <laughs> it okay. makes sense, right? Um, but there's a... Uh, there's this tribal thing though, where like people who love those bands, like we weave in and out of uh, the the genres, right? Like we oh, definitely. We're, we're hardcore kids, but we're also in metal kids, but we're also kind of gothy. But we're all, you know we listen also to noise, listen to noise, listen to like ambient music and Leonard Cohen and Morrissey and and Slayer. <laughs> yeah, it's it's all fair game, right? I I. Think that this gener, the generation of kids that are like you know behind me, behind you, in their teens and twenties now, like those those strictures of of, of uh, genre and 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 scene are almost completely gone.
2: It, it seems that
0: way. The more foreign concept. I I don't know if it's good or bad, but I think it's pretty interesting, and and I don't know where that leaves you know the the bands but i i really i really am excited for what the future withholds. i mean a, a lot of guys my age you know i'm pushing 50 yeah. uh, a lot of guys my age malign bands like turnstile i think turnstile are a phenomenal band i think they i think they're a really great version of uh late period bad brains and a more brutal uh 311 but you know they they they're interesting you know there, there's no there's no reason to be mad at a band for being popular
1: oh absolutely not i um i was kind of late kind of early on hearing turnstile in their like beginning ascent mhm and luckily had you know the the opportunity to see them before they ended up being you know openers for Blink One Eighty Two and whatnot. Um, it was no surprise to me to see that tour announcement. Yeah, it was practically inevitable. Yeah, they're a band that has a sound that either whether you hear it in a squat for fifty people or in an arena for fifty thousand, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it's not going to make everybody happy. <laughs> that that makes sense. But they'd be lying through their teeth if they didn't say it made sense. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's and accessible. That, and that's it, that word. It's accessible.
0: It's a, it's, and the thing that's great about that uh, is if there are new kids getting into hardcore because of turnstile, who knows where that's going to lead them these might be the next kids in a, anything from a youth crew styled posycore band all the way to you know something like crossover like like yeah. early early chrome mags or corrosion of conformity like it, who knows where it's going to take them and you know everybody has that gateway drug for me it was it was really was anthrax sure and like anthrax were you know their ties to new york hardcore were kind of my through line when i was a kid because i was pretty i was still pretty young when sod uh speaking english or die came out yeah and and i was like wow this is like it's like metal but it it, it, there's no frills and my buddy was like yeah because it's a hardcore band i'm like hardcore like porn (laughs) (laughs) no dude hardcore hardcore punk yeah oh oh like the clash not like the clash you dickhead um (laughs) You know, and that was my first concert was The Clash. So oh, was man. Like, That was my my whole scope of punk. I was a real young kid was, you know, the, the Ramones, The Clash, the Sex Pistols, the British bands, and, and, right. and, the, and the Ramones. Uh, hardcore, It it didn't make sense to me until I got context for it. But that SOD record was my – I got into that through Anthrax. That was my gateway drug. My love of thrash. Made me a hardcore kid.
1: I could see that. You know, I I see how that you know that track follows. Well, I, I, I mean, I even say there's some similar track marks for how I ended up where I did. Well, take us through that little jaunt. Um, I mean, I was entirely too young to be hearing it, but it's how it goes. I I think I heard Metallica the very first time, five or six years old. Mm -hmm. And it was through my older cousin, who I now play music with, and my older uncle. And um, I remember... I I know I was really young still. I just remember headbanging to the breakdown of one Mm -hmm. in the back of my grandma's car. And, you know... It's like a year and a half later. I'm meeting the older kid in my neighborhood. Mind you, like I said, it's this tiny suburb of LA. And, uh, well, first he kind of shows me his cred because he lends me the cassette of Master of Puppets. Yeah. I only heard Justice for All. So it's like, you know, oh, there's another one of these? <laughs> and, you know... My head comes off when I hear Orion for the first time and Leprechaun Messiah, and then he plays me this band Nevermore. Mm. Now Nevermore, very underrated American thrash band. Yes, but also very progressive because it's not straightforward thrash that's meant to just make you a mosh monster. It's gonna it's gonna bend your brain a bit. Yeah, and rest his soul. You got Warl Dane. Storing over those thrash songs like an operatic singer, and it's just messing with your footing every which way, but you know it's good.
0: See there's there was that that era of thrash uh, that that you' that you got to sample like after kind of like its first real rise that never went away either. Right. And I I was, I was damn young. I mean, and it was an older cousin as well that turned me on to Anthrax, Metallica, the big four plus Exodus Testament, all that stuff. Um, my cousin Eddie, and he had drawn me the fistful of metal record cover. Okay. (laughs) He was a great artist and he gave it to me and it was, it blew my mind because there's a fist coming through the back of someone's head. I'm like,
2: what it,
0: did you come it's, up with
2: this? <laughs> no,
0: no, no. That's the cover of an album, bro. Do you want to hear yeah. it? Yes, I fucking do. Yes. Does it sound like Iron Maiden? It was the first thing I asked him because I loved Iron Maiden when I was sure. little. He's like, it's heavier. No, <laughs> not, not possible. Iron Maiden. Not possible. So like it, it, that, that blew my world apart. <laughs> and as much as Anthrax is still kind of like my pinnacle of, of the big four as it were, uh, there was, it was, uh, it was an epiphany. It was a fucking epiphany when I heard ride the lightning.
1: Oh, absolutely. That's my
0: favorite record. Mine too. And, and I liked Metallica before that, but yeah, this was, whoa! like I, I, I want to be a bass player. It was that moment. There, was a few, there were a few musicians that made me want to play bass. Uh, Getty Lee was definitely one of them. Slim Jim Phantom from The Stray Cats was definitely oh, one of them. Classic. Uh, yeah, and, and obviously, <laughs> we're talking about Iron Maiden here, like the quintessential bass player, the guy who writes all the fucking music and lyrics. Right. Uh, but Cliff Burton, man.
1: Cliff was just another level. He made me want to play. I mean, yeah. the whole the whole band still says it. I, I just read a quote from Kirk still saying that he still wonders what And Justice For All would have sounded like with Cliff on it. Mm-hmm. You know?
0: I still wonder. Some
1: years after the fact. I still wonder what that album
0: would have sounded like with a bass on it. <laughs> That's what everybody <laughs> wonders what it would have sounded like. <laughs> <coughs>
1: I think the only person that doesn't wonder that is Jason Newstead.
0: They fucked him out of it. It's not his fault. He's a great bass player. Oh, that's yeah. So you just recently came back from shooting, correct? Like, Uh,
1: yeah, I, uh, I got my two shows in one day, which I hadn't done in a long time Mm -hmm. (laughs) in New York. Um, Damn, that day was a whirlwind. My flight had been delayed. I, I didn't even know if I was going to make the first show. I got into New York like three hours late. I basically took an overpriced cab, threw my bag in my Airbnb, and just gunned it to get on the subway and hope to make it on time. Mm-hmm. And uh, made it to that first show uh, down at the Bowery room started spinning a bit because I hadn't eaten or drank anything since like the afternoon before sometime in California. (laughs) So I I told my friend, I was like, um, I'm about to shoot another show in like two hours. If I don't get some food or at least some coffee in me, this is not going to go well. (laughs) So I got to cut out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, who did you shoot? Who were the bands? Um, So I had the privilege of shooting this awesome young thrash band called Slashers. Uh, uh, I believe they're based out of New York City, and I believe they're finishing up a Northwest tour right now, if they're not already back in New York. But uh, they started this awesome day in this, you know, basement area, the Bowery Electric. And honestly it was one of the first times in a long time that being at a show felt like being at a family reunion. It was so welcoming. It was this awesome all-ages gathering. Uh, I, I have to, if I'm going to talk about it, make the shout-out to Drew Stone. Oh, you know, and Drew's an Stone awesome guy. He's Antidote, great. All, all the yeah. credits. Um, he's the, the mastermind behind those shows, and it's it's a true service to whether it's the the community there that I got to see showcased in front of me or the people like me that get to come and visit and happen to be there on the days those shows are happening. It is such a gift. Um, I didn't get to shoot photos of them, but I did see this band, Mr. Pickle. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was their first show in 10 years. And and that's why I really wanted to play up the, the family atmosphere because while they did make this hilarious flyer that was like on the level of like something you'd see for like carnivore back in the day <laughs> where it was this little leaflet that basically was a series of warnings saying, if you are offended by dick jokes, uh, uh, like this, this kind of unnecessary, but hilarious list to read off. They basically said, just don't come downstairs for like the next half hour. <laughs> And then I look to my right as they're about to start their set, and it's pretty clear that uh, either the drummer's girlfriend or wife is there, and they're probably, I'm guessing, five-year-old child. Yeah. And she's dancing along with this music that's about hating their job or boob jokes and all these things. And it's just like, you know, some people would be like horrified at seeing this. I love seeing this. I absolutely love seeing this. This is this little girl getting to see her dad doing what she loves, dancing around with family, friends and a bunch of strangers and feeling safe. Yeah. And this is why people like myself get into this scene. These weird happenstance moments that you don't predict happen right in front of you. And you feel that all too unfamiliar safety. That you hardly ever find. And it's so damn important. Yeah, because you create your tribe moments like that. Yeah. And, you know, whether it's the little girl that was probably, you know, barely school age, or whether it's someone like say maybe her dad that's in his fifties or sixties, getting to play with his band for the first time in ten years. If you have that opportunity, you can't pass it up. Hmm. And it's so awesome that it is free, you know, where Drew was able to make this agreement with the Bowery Electric. You know, you you contribute by getting a drink or dropping something in the tip bin. But the main thing is, is that it's accessible. It's all ages. And you're basically guaranteed to have a great afternoon, no matter if you know any of the music walking in. so
0: where where do you think your collected works are headed uh are do you have an eye towards maybe doing a, a compendium
1: or or a photo book of some kind in the future um my my main focus right now uh i've been contributing to no echo for let's see i started communications with that in 2018 so it's like 5 years at this point um I am leaning towards uh, the avenue of Substack has become very interesting to me with the Mm -hmm. few blogs that I've been following. I'm thinking I might start a digital zine on there at the beginning of 2024. Um, I haven't formatted it yet. This is sort of my first proper talking about it outside of my head. So it's still very uh, premature, so to speak, in talking about it. But I want to make the effort in putting that together because it's no secret. I don't just enjoy hardcore and metal as much as it is my roots. Yeah. And so when I do go cover a noise show or maybe even have the opportunity to cover a more dare I say pop singer or something, mm-hmm. I want to have an avenue to just host those images to whoever wants to access them and not feel like that they have to you know, wade their ways through the uncharted territory of the internet. If someone finds my work, whether it's Instagram, them to just be able to access whatever drew them there first and then stumble across, you know, whether it's an old photo set that I do for the sake of archiving and it's an old thing of neurosis photos or a band like Cult Leader, Cave In, whatever. Mm-hmm. Hey, maybe they don't ever listen to the music. But it makes them interested in photography, even just to document whatever they like documenting. That's uh, I, I
0: think that's a pretty important move, and I'm going to tell you, Substack seems to be. I'm moving over there, uh, not completely. Yeah, but my podcast is already available on Substack, and you know, I my my background's in in writing. Uh, okay. I'm going to, you know, I, I've recently completed a novel. Once I, I have that in motion, uh, out to, you know, an editor, and and I can kind of take my hands off of it, I'm also moving uh, to more full-time kind of uh, thing with Substack, because I, I used to write a blog, too. Uh, and as I said, I started out with fanzines. But I, I, I think Substack is kind of like... The next logical step from from social media because it is more immersive and and, and creator based, yeah, uh, and and not in a vanity sense, not like in a TikTok sense where you're just like for standing sure. there like doing synchronized dances with people or or, or whatever. Uh, I think it's a, a haven for artists right now, and as long as that doesn't get bastardized, yeah. I, I'm I'm here for it. I'm I'm very much a, wanting to be a part of that world. Um, I I wonder though, are there any any bands that are like holy grail bands that maybe no longer play but are like a favorite that you wish you could have oh, photographed? Well. <laughs> I'm sure the list is long, but if if there are any like really real standouts, I mean
1: Nevermore. Mm-hmm. Since we were talking about them. I, I didn't even get to see a proper Nevermore set. I I luckily had the good fortune to see World Dane play a mm-hmm. solo show where he had put his band together at that time. Mm-hmm. And I think they played a few Nevermore songs, but it was mainly stuff from his uh, solo record he released b- before his passing praises to the War Machine. Mm-hmm. A fantastic record if anyone likes music along those lines and hasn't heard it. Absolutely check it out. Um I mean if I'm gonna aim high because it's it's this hypothetical conversation, yeah. I would have loved to shoot Joy Division. Mm. I mean none of us got a chance to see Joy Division, but but you know, we're we're just we're talking here.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
1: um while it's still possible I, I would absolutely not mind at all the opportunity to shoot the Cure. Yeah, um, if I could have done that on this most recent tour, I would have absolutely jumped at the chance. Um, they were and,
0: they were incredible. They
1: were incredible on the tour, and that's the reason why I do look at this substack that I'm wanting to start in 2024 as a separate avenue. It doesn't mean that I'll not write a review on occasion for No Echo. Um, it's more that I I take a responsibility and respect to Carlos at No Echo for always being an open door policy with my contributions, and I take a, a a reality check. You know that there is a specific audience that looks to No Echo for certain coverage. Yeah, they're not itching to hear my talking about a noise artist or some obscure sound artist or, you know, whatever other music outside of hardcore and metal that I might have stumbled upon. It's not saying that they may not be a fan of it or that they might not be open to it, but they kind of know the wheelhouse that No Echo aims for. And it's a a welcome wheelhouse to host. So I don't want to do a disservice in presenting a piece to Carlos that honestly won't attract attention or that would only attract attention if somebody's just bored. Hmm. I I wanna be able to host things independently and openly for anyone to wander into. And then as far as you know my contributions to this hardcore metal community, some will maybe end up on Substack if there's the opportunity and the openness still for no echo. I'll shoot it over and, you know, everybody benefits.
0: Well, we're at that time of the show where I ask my one pre-prescribed question. Uh, It is, it's the only one. It's the only one I I have written. I don't know how familiar you are uh, with this question, so I'll just uh, come out with it. Yeah, shoot. Uh What is it that terrifies you on an existential level?
1: Oh, man let's see if i can as you can tell i'm good at tangential answers so i'll mm. see if i can uh, siphon siphon down um i don't have a perfect answer for that well, i not a perfect question man <laughs> well i i kind of feel like it is though in in a certain way because i think the the terrifying thing that has always kind of knitted me with existence in general is how close I feel like I've lived in death at times. Um, I've had an insane amount of near death experiences compared to what I, what people would say, you know, is my chronological age. I'm about six months away from turning 32, but I mean, even though I don't remember it, there's some arguments that would say my first, you know, depending on how you view things, my first near-death experience was before I was even out of the womb. My, my mom nearly lost me, like, a few months into her uh, being pregnant with me. And so, like, having knowledge of that and then having a ton of near-death experiences throughout my childhood, throughout my teens it's this thing where you become aware of your mortality to a certain level and you become aware of this collection of things that's happened to you and it's like okay (laughs) either my existence really did need to happen and I don't know what the fallout of that's going to be but I'm going to try to do it as best as I can or I just have to accept that I don't understand it and write it out as best as I can (laughs) (laughs)
0: oh man yeah there's a as as uh close as i've been to uh you know shuffling off this mortal coil and having actually once done just that um believe it or not that isn't the thing that dogs my heels the most sure and and i don't know well, I don't the reason why I asked a question is because I don't fully understand why the things that terrify us terrify us because death for as much as it uh, has obviously dogged you, it's still something that we're all going to share. It's inevitable. it's it's a part of the cycle. It's arguably the most important part of the cycle because right you know, how you go out is pretty memorable to everyone that you know loves you uh to me existence is more terrifying it it really is just being being here being present and 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 accountable for my actions and you know how truly dire our circumstances currently are on this planet uh that seems to terrify me more than anything anymore
1: i I Um, won't argue that (laughs) you know for a moment
0: but uh, this is this was all promised in the 80s um you know the, the culture of 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 you know even action movies everything was preparing us for armageddon and and war armageddon and war um it it makes perfect sense. I like the music that I like, especially my favorite band Neurosis because they're very much an apocalyptic sounding band.
2: Absolutely.
0: But um I don't think it's my own personal death that is is the real clincher for me. It's it's the fact that we're living on the edge of what could be the end for everybody.
1: And it and certainly appears that way more often than not
0: hmm and to me that that's that makes me sad because you know it, i mean of course everybody dies it's it's all of the all of the beauty that you know we did bring into the world as 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 a culture of people um a lot of bad came with it too obviously a lot of bad culture a lot of bad everything but Think of all the, you know, Jackson Pollocks of the world, all the James Joyce's, all of the, you know, uh, just name name art from any sector of, of, of the arts themselves. Uh, they, they have no value if there's no one to behold them. Right. Y- you have to hope that once we've done the deed and ruined everything for everyone... <laughs> that that there are some, maybe the aliens really will come down and start checking <laughs> things out, and they'll become Neurosis fans and Basquiat fans, and 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 you know their favorite movie will be The Shining, and <laughs> 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 you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you, you almost hope that's what happens because it, to me the the greatest shame would be that all of the greatness that we've achieved as humans. Uh, is going to be outshone by all of the horrible things that we've visited upon our own home by shitting where we
1: eat. I I hear that. It's
0: fucking scary, man. <laughs>
1: yeah, I I definitely hear that, and you know I think it's like like we were touching on like as far as my my doing what I do. It's it's my uh, my kicking back against that yeah it's like i i don't mind you know a bum shoulder and two bad knees later still refusing to not spit back and kick a few times
0: <laughs> so uh, on amidst all of this and and you know obviously it's very rewarding for you to to photograph bands and stuff but like how do you get by what is your living um it's
1: been a mixed bag, man. Um, the, so the last five years have been a, a journey all its own because, um, shooting a show, I, uh, suffered a concussion and, um, it was one of those things that, you know, it, when I talk to the many doctors that I have, they say, Oh, this should have faded off a long time ago. Um, I'm as proud as I'm not to say five years later, it didn't fade off. Yeah. Um, No one really knows how many concussions I've had at this point in my life. (laughs) And I don't either. And even if I was told them today, I probably wouldn't remember it because of the short-term memory loss that I have. Yeah. So for the last five years, I've, maybe not according to the state of California, but for lack of a better term and under no legal proof, been disabled to the point that I'm not totally functional under traditional uh, employment. Mm -hmm. I am on a bad day, quite a risk to myself. Mm -hmm. Um, I I tend to fall. Um, I, I basically have what I've summated from reading and a lot of denial from doctors, kind of early signs of what may end up being Parkinson's. I don't really know. I get a lot of tremors, muscular stuff. Um, I lose my train of thought. It's, it's a mess. I'm not going to go into like trying to describe it all. Um, I, I've i had the good enough fortune to have uh, supportive parents that have allowed me to, to live with them for the last few years. Um, and I, you know, I, I hustle where I can, you know, I, when I put out a zine, I sold it as few as I could. Yeah. Lost more money on it than I made, but you know, it helped along the way. Um, Right at the beginning of the pandemic, I took an opportunity through a friend to work in a random warehouse for an e-commerce company. Ended up accidentally taking a pipe to the head and, With all my brain trauma already, that was like the cherry on top. Yeah. Three days into a five-day job that I had to then quit because I was blind in my eye for an hour and didn't want to go to the doctor because it was the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. So, luckily, I'm I'm seeing clear through my glasses right now. (laughs) (laughs) That faded off. But the brain damage didn't. Um, So... I'm doing the best I can. And that's partly why I want to start this Substack. in all honesty. It's it's a format that I can say, you know, hey, I totally get it. Funds are limited and join my photos as much as you can with the time you have and at no cost. Mm-hmm. But if you're able to to pitch in and allow me to do this a little more easily, absolutely grateful for whatever dollar amount is possible.
0: It's freaky that you mentioned the whole uh, <laughs> concussion, multiple concussion thing. Uh, <clears throat> I'm a plumber by trade. Okay, uh, I just recently suffered a pretty substantial one that could quite ha- could have easily been the career ender. You know, yeah, a seven foot trench. Oh, geez, I fall in and land headfirst on a, a curb box. <sighs> You know, which is a big, big brass valve. Uh, thank God I am Polish, because I absorbed a, a good bit of the brunt of that uh, with my skull. Uh, but I've I've had so many concussions, being a hardcore kid, being a skateboarder, uh, being a baseball player. Um, I'm I'm surprised at in my advancing years that I still have the cognition. Oh, to yeah. Walk, chew bubble gum, and take care of my very, very young son. Uh, because my, at my age, I have a four year old son. My daughter's 22. My son's four. Uh, <laughs> oh, i I'm aware of the pictures of Canaan. You got a, yeah, an yeah, awesome he, little dude there, man. He, he's the best. He's the best. <laughs> um, he is a little metalhead, too. And it's beautiful to to behold. But man, like. People don't understand like head like head trauma. That's very like any at any time that could be it. Like, I don't know, man. I, I must have been an idiot uh to have done all of the things I'd done uh for the sheer love of doing them. Like I, I've had at least a dozen concussions from hardcore shows. Uh whether um, I was playing in the band or just attending.
1: Yeah. Uh, surprisingly, I, and I say this every time, that that concussion I got, it was at a Converge show, mm-hmm. full disclosure. That was the first time I had ever had a concussion at a show. No kidding. I, I'm i shocked because of my usual track record. I'm, I'm quite prone to end up being the one that walks out with an injury. Um, you know, I've, I've springed my wrist at shows. I've nearly dislocated my knee at shows. All those things. But that was the one time I had head trauma, and it put me on bed rest for two weeks, and I've basically not been the same since. Yeah. Did your personality change? I feel like it has a bit. Um, I've – I look at it this way. So I – this is my – on a, on a side note, this is actually part of what even like originally attracted me to your podcast. I love that it was called The Book of Very, Very Bad Things because mm-hmm. I almost feel like if I was to like make a tiny short story, slightly fictional, but somewhat based in reality of like certain happenings in my life, that's mm-hmm. almost what I'd want to call it. Why, why do you think the show is called that? <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned to the choir here, but I just figured I'd mention it yeah yeah
0: and and there's a there's merit to having lived a life full of malady truly um if not for anything else then to be a cautionary tale to other people but i think long suffering builds the best characters oh Um, definitely we were we bear the scars for it certainly but i and i Maybe it's because I'm a cultural Catholic and and you know like the, the whole Jesus thing, but uh, and and martyrs at large. but I, my favorite people invariably throughout life were people who like Mickey Rourke, like uh, sure, you know Tom Waits, people who've like been through it, like just got chewed up and spit out and keep coming back that that indomitable human spirit. To me, that that is uh, that's the most inspiring thing. Jacob Bannon from Converge is a prime example of this. Like he has a bevy of mental health issues, and and there's really no reason that he should have ever made it, and he made it on his own terms. Yeah. Despite all of these things, who who would you rather root for? Most people root for underdogs in any scenario, right? Uh, uh, I'm no different but I like my heroes with a little bit of smut on their noses you know what <laughs> I mean I'm I'm a little less superman a little more batman yeah and uh you know I didn't set out to to be of that stripe but it just so happens I turned out to be just that you know this ex-heroin addict goofball that you know, I I just said you know you you can't have me. Yeah. You know, you can have my friends, and that's terrible. And I hate to see bad things happen to everybody, and and they disappear. But I, I I refuse to succumb to my my circumstances. Period. End of
1: story. And I think that that's you. I'm trying, man. I mean, so like to. To give you the, the context of maybe like the, the bindings of this little book I've got, mm-hmm. you know, the, the birth. Um, when I was 15 and I could literally, if I walked outside my door, at least if my shoulder was better, throw a stone right to where my head was. I was jumped by a gang, uh, literally like two minute walk from where I'm sitting right now uh my ear was stomped in um i had like five of my front teeth kind of moved around luckily they didn't have to be pulled but my my smile's a bit jagged makes for an interesting story and then i look at that third binding with a two, with a tbd at the end of it as my concussion and ironically uh The the jump when I was jumped happened when I was fifteen, and the concussion happened when I was twenty five, and a couple weeks from turning twenty six. And I I really didn't think about that until just now. It was exactly ten years apart, pretty much. But these two very pivotal things that like very seemingly changed who I am, how I interact with this world, happened. Um, I don't have explanations for it, and I. I have a mix of grief and gratitude for it all. Yeah, it uh, it's one of those things. Like for the, for the sake of being clear, I never would hold a band responsible for my being injured at their shows. Yeah, I've had so many different things go wrong at shows, and had so many people say, "Well, oh, why didn't you reach out to the band? Why didn't you reach out to the booker? Those people aren't getting paid any money. Why am yeah. I gonna be?" the nonsensical person in the room to try to make this about me. I went there on my own. I went there at my own risk. What happened, happened. Get over it. Yeah. Anybody with enough logic in the room would tell you the same thing.
0: Of course. And, <laughs> and, and anyone who, you know, has an allegiance to that scene would tell you the same thing because we, we, we put ourselves in these situations willingly and, and anyone like when I was growing up, there was, uh, one of the kids from my high school decided to play uh weirdo for the weekend with us because he, oh ran, boy. he ran with us and he ran <laughs> with the, the, the preppy kids during uh, the week. Not good. Um, yeah. Yeah. One of those. And, uh, there's a rather, uh, I guess for the East coast anyway, a legendary club that was a block away from my home called CC's. Okay. And he came there with us and it was, I can't even remember. Maybe sick of it all. Uh, (laughs) Oh, Oh, maybe it's it was clobber time yeah yeah it, is, it, is, it was it was clover time too <laughs> this kid showed up in all of his hill figure glory and this was before oh my gosh. This was before hill figure became uh, acceptable in hardcore in the later 90s and uh, he decided to get into the pit and, uh, oh, no. and not in the right way there was no circle pitting he didn't even you know kung fu, the kung fu in the pit was starting to happen at this point. He didn't try any of that. He just started swinging at people and jumping into people and jumping up and down and making a spectacle of himself. Oh, and, man. And this skinhead, who I still know and yes. I'm still friends with, got whacked in the back of the head by this goof, turned around, kind of cocked his head to the side a little <laughs> as, if to, as if to like question this person's very <laughs> existence. And then with one punch, completely knocked him out and as he was dropping the second punch, broke his orbital bone. Boom, yeah. poof, done. And he was a he was just like a sack of meat. Sounds uh, right. Yeah. So uh, it was our responsibility to drop this this human being off at oh, no. his parents' doorstep. Uh, oh no! At, at which point I was berated because I was the one they'd known, and I was always the Eddie Haskell of the crew. <laughs> I was You're doing. responsible for him. Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah, yeah. And I'm the I was the one that everybody's parents liked because I put on the act of the likable blue-eyed blonde haired little sure. surfer boy, like, hey, everybody loves me. I'm Pete. Oh and no. Yeah. It didn't go uh too well. Uh oh no. You know, tried to sue the club. Sounds about right. I ended up in court. It 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 oh, was it was it was a whole thing just because this this goof wanted to play hardcore kid for the weekend, uh. But I I feel like you know every I think almost everybody's got a story similar to that. Uh, yeah. If, if they find themselves uh, in these rooms long enough, and newcomers come along, and most of them are great, but there's always going to be one prick at the wedding. <laughs> <laughs> but uh. Man, it could have been so much worse. I was at a Life of Agony show where somebody got shot. I, uh, you know? You know, like, weird shit happened in the 90s, man. That's just what it was. And I think you can attest to the fact that weird shit happened in the, the 2000s as well. It still <laughs> happens, man. Yeah. It still happens. But, but the, the, the point of my whole tirade was had that person been one of us. Yeah. That never would have occurred. Because no. they they would have approached the situation at the show with reverence a and b had they gotten fucked up would have had the good graces to, you know, say, "No, mom, I had an accident. I slipped and fell." This happened, that happened. It wasn't the show. It wasn't the show. It wasn't the show. Coming up in an era where Moshing was a thing on Donahue, and my parents tried to for completely forbid me to go to shows because oh was, yeah, it was on TV. Geraldo and and Donahue were talking about moshing at punk shows. Oh, you're not going over to that club anymore. Okay, I won't go anymore. And then I was there that <laughs> night, and and you know, then I was there the next night, and
1: you know, you were there summoning demons and
0: sacrificing children. That's uh, yeah, yeah, because everybody knows how satanic.
1: Hardcore punk is. Right Right <laughs> after Geraldo went to Al Capone's vault, you, yeah. were, you were there and, showing him where the baby bodies are. There it is. There it is right there. <laughs> Geraldo.
0: And he found <laughs> nothing. And he found yeah. the only thing Geraldo found was uh, a broken nose from a Nazi. That's about Geraldo. all he found. But, you know, I, I got to ask because there is that 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 small generation gap between us. Sure. Um, I'm, I'm like, what, 13, 14 years older than you? Yeah. Give or take, give or take. Um, when I was coming into hardcore punk metal, uh, it was scary for the first maybe show or two. And then like everybody became very welcoming. Once you showed that you were showing up for the right reasons, it it, it was the cliche. If you fell down, somebody picked you up in the pit. If you needed a ride somewhere, an older guy was going to help you out. Uh, Like, everybody became very familial. I'm sure it was that for you as
1: well. Not really. No? No. uh, Whether it's where I grew up, whether it's, you know, because it's L.A., it's, you know, it was the place to be at one time. Mm -hmm. But um, the, the thing that I had going for me was that I've never been largely accepted anywhere, so I never expected to be accepted in the first place. Right. So, like I said, you know, I started doing street theme stuff before I could even go to shows. So because I had the gumption, basically, to, to get myself going to promote things, to, to be in contact with the right people, um, I get tickets... It was through the radio. Um, you know, real old analog days, winning tickets off the radio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, which, side note, that is totally needed. I wish kids could still experience that. Oh, yeah. Um, but I, I win these tickets off the radio. And mind you, I didn't even win them directly. My friend seemed to have, like, the hotline to always get picked for the tickets to win. He had already won tickets for the festival and wanted to lie so that he could win more tickets, so he put my name in the the hat, basically. So he gets these tickets. Unknowingly, he ends up hooking me up with a backstage pass. And he is livid. He is like, what the hell, man? I've been the direct line for you to get these tickets. There's no way you deserve this backstage fast. It's like, hey, I didn't ask you to say my name. (laughs) You're the one that came up to school and just roll up on me like, oh, hey, you have these tickets. It's like, what the hell are you even talking about? I have tickets to what? Oh, the the show we're going to in like two months. Okay, fine, whatever. Whatever it's like just just remember the chain of events correctly <laughs> i can't help it that they didn't pick your name okay just back off a minute so i'm i'm doing this i'm hanging out this backstage my head's coming right off it sounds of the underground 2007 um it was headlined i believe by suicidal tendencies and, you know, it's mid-2000s metalcore, so we're talking Chimera, Shadows Fall, uh, Goat Whore was an early band that day. I, I mean, it, it was just an insane day. And uh, to, you know, I if you haven't noticed the through line, I, I make a point to shout out all the people that have helped me along the way. Mm-hmm. So uh, Jackie Kaiser, also known as Full Metal Jackie, she's a longtime radio host from Jersey originally. Yep. heard all over the place now. Um, I'll I'll never forget the inroads she made for me as a young 14-year-old. For whatever reason, she interviews me and my friend, I think, for, like, AOL music or something. And we didn't even know that this is why we were being interviewed. There just happened to be a camera. I've only seen this footage once. I've scoured the internet and never found it again. But... She, like, pulls me aside. She's like, hey, you clearly know what you're talking about. Like, how? Like, how? Why? And I'm like, well, it may not be obvious, but, like, I don't really have that many friends. So (laughs) I use my time and what I care about. And I read about these obscure bands that most people just kind of turn sideways to me and are like, what the hell do you even listen to and why? Yeah. So I have a lot of time on my hands and I use it. <laughs> I, I read about that, you know, that weird death doom band. And then I read about the five bands that their guitarist is playing in, and, you know, maybe they're all broken up, but I'm, I'm finding the rare CD next time I go digging at the record store if I can. So she's like, how do you feel about passing out flyers for my radio show? If I hook you up with tickets and so began the saga. Yeah. I think that next year and a half, I went to like 20 or 30 shows didn't pay a cent. And the way I got to those shows was my older friends that didn't have much money, but had enough money for gas and did not mind that they had a younger friend that would get them in for free. Would say, hey man, um, there's a great show going on, but I need a ride. Do you mind driving if I get you in for free? <laughs> I I will say this: they did have the audacity to sometimes say, "Well, what band is it?" Yeah, it's like, okay, you're the one that's supposed to be like schooling me in this culture, like teaching me that you know, you go support the scene, you go to the show, you buy the shirt. Why am I having to do this for you? I'm the younger one in this situation, so why am I having to shepherd you? But all that aside, that's how I would get to shows. <laughs> I would basically bribe them with the access I was gracefully given by someone that I never expected to end up connected with. Have
0: you ever considered,
1: like, really uh,
0: telling this story in chronology uh, maybe accompanied by a photo or two, because I, I would, I would hasten to guess that this would make for very, you know, a, 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 a very relatable and palpable journey. Uh, words and photographs, you know, correlating to you know your life's journey. I, I, I would read that. I would, I would subscribe to that.
1: Uh, I, I wouldn't mind doing like a sort of like small zine where you know i, I really want to get back to that tactile thing yeah um I, I wouldn't mind hosting it online but online just feels so simple i, I want to bring it back to how random this stuff happened i mean like when i when i talk to say like whether it's like some family friends they they always are like oh you're like that kid and almost famous it's like well to be fair I didn't have the good fortune of Lester Bangs being on my, my speed dial. Yeah. That would have been a whole other story. And to be fair to that character that Cameron Crowe very wisely made so that people can have that image in their head, I'll never say that I was that cool at 14 in high school. No.
2: <laughs>
1: no. was that, the- giving myself way too much credit. <laughs> not even possible. But um,
0: I- I think it's a story worth worth chronicling. I um, I acknowledge that for sure, and I think it's something that's lacking now. Um, the way people document themselves in this day and age is very immediate and very uh, dare I say disposable yes. via your TikTok. Via like, and, and I'm not taking anything away from that because I find I find it infinitely interesting. As an outsider, because I'm certainly not of that.
1: Oh, it's yeah. It's not to disparage what people are doing. No. They're they're accessing the things that are of the moment, and if it appeals to them, they're accessing it. All power yeah. to you.
0: Yeah, I love. I, I'm I'm here for it. I think it's great. But uh, uh, to I think to to flesh out a, a personality and 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 really endear yourself to uh, a group of people who are going to. Accept it. You have to do something that's tactile. That's something you can touch and feel and and smell and 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 exist in, in in a similar space with. That's why I still, when I buy a book, I buy a I buy a book. Yeah. When I buy music, I buy a record because a I'm old as fuck and that's <laughs> how I started. That's how. To to me, this is not a hipster thing. This is like oh, hell no. This, this is sense memory, and. It, 180-gram black vinyl sounds better than any other music delivery system, be it digital, be it CD, be it cassette, be it your great Milk's World beautiful uh, uh, rare vinyl, which I'm very much guilty of collecting as well, but they <laughs> don't sound as good. That Neurosis box set that I just showed you is yeah. on one, uh, 180 or 200-gram black nah. because it sounds the best. Um, I I need that. I need that uh connection to the Earth still. I'm afraid that for as valuable as these experiences these younger people are having uh, online, uh, with apps and whatnot. They are important, they're real, but it's not rooted in three-dimensional space.
1: Oh, I, I've been trying desperately and I'm I'm gonna hold her to it. I have a sixteen year old cousin mm-hmm. and uh I my parents and I collectively agreed to give her a, a gift certificate to a local record store. I've been telling her. Yeah. I, I know it's not a priority for you and I don't take an offense, but the day you feel like having your free time spent in a record store, I am going to go with you and you are going to understand why I do these odd things that our family doesn't understand. We're, we're going to have a legitimate conversation. You're going to maybe get a glimpse into why I don't quite fit the bill and disappoint a lot of our family. And it's, it may not make sense, but you're going to at least be able to hear it from me and not just have it described to you through the lens of our weird, messed up family. You're, you're going to actually hear it pointedly. And I, I mean, you know, it's it, it is that thing of like I'm I'm glad that she's experiencing what she can because she needs to have her experience of being a youth. Yeah. But it's like I just want to give my two cents if you'll allow me. I'm not I'm not over here waiting to like sneak up on you with a joy division shirt and try to turn you into something that you're not. Yeah. I'm just I'm gonna just put it out there and you can decide to take hold of it or be like that's my weird cousin's thing. I love him, I guess, but he's into some weirdly weird stuff and seems to wear a lot of black for some reason. I don't really get it.
0: Something happened uh, tonight that gave me hope for these new kids uh, <laughs> that I, I do want to share. I was grocery shopping. I was uh, between, you know, buying. Beyond Burgers and, and 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 going to get my wife creamer for coffee in the morning and for sure uh, these two teenagers happen to walk past and at the time I was wearing uh, my Lycia t shirt one of my many Lycia t shirts because Mike and Tara from Lycia are two of my oldest and dearest friends um and this one kid is like it's, it's the, a guy and his girlfriend and very young. The guy is uh, very hippie in appearance, almost like, <laughs> almost Dean Ween looking, All right. in, in his appearance, and and the 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 lovely young girl that he was with, uh, was wearing a corset and and she was doing the whole goth thing, and oh, I mean going the whole way. Uh, if I was in high school with her, and <laughs> I would have been in love with her back in the day, of uh, course and i'm I'm just looking at these two and and just in awe of it, because it reminds me so much of my own youth and and they looked at me, and the girl just started laughing and and was like, "Look at this fucking asshole, you know and and it made me like' like she didn't know who the fuck Lycia was and she's a yeah. goth, yeah, or she thinks she's a Goth, but it made it did my heart good because a, they were laughing at an old guy, which you're supposed to and B. She's for for not knowing who the fuck Lycia is, at least you're dressing the part the right way. And 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 she she was trying she was trying desperately to be in that in that mode. Yeah. And that gives me hope because (laughs) they're supposed to hate me, even though I am just like them and, and I am their spiritual father in a way. Even if if I'm truly that, they're supposed to hate me for that. They're sure. supposed to rail against me for that because there's nothing more punk rock than that, and that made me feel strangely good. Uh, yeah. I yeah, I hear that. And, and that's it's a, little, a fucked up thing to say, but I'm I, I was on board for it. I was like, yeah, man, you, you're, <laughs> you're supposed to
1: fucking hate me. Oh, uh, I,
0: I am on your team.
1: <laughs> I'll. This is an older story, but I'll. I'll I'll give you one along the same lines. Okay. So uh, I used to live with my uh, Kung Fu instructor. And uh, I had the good fortune to kind of be not a formal, but sort of live in like help with his kids. Uh, His daughter at the time was like, I want to say maybe seven or eight. And I lived there when his little boy was from four months old to two years old. And so, you know, very formative years. So I had to be around them a lot. Mm. And uh, one day I'm babysitting them, and I'm playing some music on my computer, and their girl was so sassy. And she just, like, literally struts up to me. And it's like, are you playing that lame, sad music again that you like? (laughs) And I just couldn't stop laughing. (laughs) To, to the point that she got mad at me for laughing. Yeah. Now, mind you, this is a child that has been raised on, like, Taylor Swift, uh, yeah. music that plays on My Little Pony, whatever. And and the fact that she was so pointed to just be like, I'm sick of your crap, stop playing that stupid, sad music already, play me the pop music that I know from the radio, damn it. Yeah. It's like, you know, I could take this any variation of ways because technically I am in a position of authority over you. But this is just too funny. I'm just going to laugh at this play your pop music that makes me want to stab my ears and just (laughs) have this as a memory for as long as I choose to keep it.
0: But you, you have to admire them for it. You have to almost see yourself in it because, oh, totally. There was a time, man. Uh, oh. I, I don't even, I, I don't even remember really what it would have m- white lion maybe, or what new kids on the block. That was my first real scourge. Uh, really? the, the thing that made me hate everything ever was new kids on the block. It was a little later in life, too. I was already like becoming a teenager when they were a thing. And my, my, they're all younger than me, all five of them. But, yeah. uh, you know, my sisters had this fucking obsession. Oh, and, yeah. You know, e- even, even in that, I understood uh, because I don't know. I, not everybody's going to like what's ugly the way I did. It just it suited me. Sure. But man, I have such I, I, I don't know what it is, but I, I have such a deep reverence and hope for young people that I probably shouldn't have at this age. I should be a curmudgeon. I should hate them. <laughs> I should I should hate their youth. I should uh covet, you know, the the fact that my you know I used to be young, but I don't. I I accept it. I kind of love it. I love being old. I love getting older. To me, it's just... I was always this old in my head anyway. And...
1: (laughs) I I mean... Even even when we were saying, you know, about the age difference, it's like... My my mom would totally attest... I was born an old man. Yeah, I was too. Um, So, I've had the curmudgeon thing since i was like four Mm -hmm. so you know if if you factor it correct yes i'm in my 30s but technically i'm in you know my 120s or something (laughs) uh as long as you don't get all archie
0: bunker about it you're good but man man, there's a there's a, a world of beautiful things going on with these young people that i just i love them for but We've been at it for two hours. I never, I never got to like get you to plug what you're doing. What's what's next for you, really? Um, uh, if uh, if if you were to like just speak to my audience at large or small or how many, however many people listen to me at this point, yeah, uh, and 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 define to them what it is that you do and why they should engage with it. How would you do so?
1: Um. So, uh, basically, I, against really any logic at all, pile into sometimes a very dimly lit room with almost nobody in it. And sometimes a very dimly lit, poorly funded, but at least decently run club uh, a few times a month at least, sometimes more often. And I do the best I can to document bands that generally have something worth hearing that not a lot of people are listening to. Um, if that catches your interest, you can find my attempts to document that on Instagram under soundframes photography or soundframes photo is the handle as they call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and thankfully to a uh, Queens and, I guess I would say friend, uh, Carlos uh, um, of No Echo. I occasionally post some of my ramblings, whether that's in the form of a record review, an interview, or a show review, and uh, try to give a more focused pitch of what I've been experiencing as far as the, the music, both the people that I've thankfully come to know and sometimes don't know that's yeah that's the sales pitch pretty much
0: (laughs) so yeah i we i'm you know pretty excited about everything that you do especially like if i could kind of appeal to my audience about what it is that attracted me uh, uh attracted me to what it is that you do it is the fact that you elevate a form, you know. Uh, as we talked about in the beginning, there's there's a million people who take pictures of shows, but you're doing something that 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 you know a million people have done truly, but no one yeah. or very few people have enough love for it to imbue their own spirit and personality onto the film and make it. Uh, a fluid and 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 organic art piece, something that 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 has, you know, it's chronological almost. Uh, it's a different band, sure, but they're all part of this same unique and singular vision of 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 movement and and spirit and light that continues to reverberate and 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 has. Not only impetus, but anima—it it, it just moves and continues to move and and grow and and become its own animal. That's why I keep bringing up, like, "Wow, it'd be great if you did this. If you if you if there were a book or 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 just a space for you to uh, uh, document this." And and Substack is obviously the the place that that's going to occur. I just hope that more people recognize what I do with this. It's important and and it's real, it's honest. It's as honest as every band you listen to, as every, uh, well, uh, however many fanzines are left, or podcasts or whatever. It's, it's, a, it's a true expression of, of joy and adulation for form. And I hope this continues.
1: Uh, basically until I can't function at a show, it'll go on. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really didn't know what to expect when, you know, all went down with my concussion. I, I really thought, you know, there, there was a bit of me like, do I really want to shoot a show again? I, I was, I was pretty shook at first. I, I, I won't lie. Um, I was so dispirited. I, I was supposed to go see Judge. Oof. And everything in me was like, there's no way in hell I can go to this show. I'm on bed rest right now. I can't even remember when I left my room half the time right now, and I'm wanting to go a four-hour bus trip to go see Judge. There's gonna be kids definitely diving over me, yeah. spin-kicking the works. And, you know, I, I had enough sense that I didn't go. Um, I, I did shoot a show the very day my bed rest ended, but mind you, it was a psychedelia band that was really chill. Yeah. I, I eased myself back into the pool. Yeah. You don't have Mike Judge, Porcel
0: and, and like, you know, the, the core members of the youth crew, Um. in, in their advanced age, still fucking making it happen. Uh, which, incidentally, Judge on that tour were fucking crazy good. But, you know,
1: you did the right thing, goddammit. it. <laughs> oh, I, I, I would be lying if I, you know, would I have wanted to see what those photos could have been? Mm-hmm. Absolutely would I have probably regretted every minute of being at that show? If I remembered them, yeah. But I probably wouldn't have remembered it. <laughs> I I mean, I, I still argue every time when I have to tell about my concussions, it's like, hey, at least I got great photos from I'm gonna check these out. And people yeah. are always like, You're such a dick. It's like, hey, I was there to shoot a show. Yeah. Did I come out with a bump from it? Yes. But do I have great photos to remember it? Yes. Fuck so yeah. therefore I win, your argument loses. Next question. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right, my friend. I'm gonna wrap for the evening. But listen, we gotta do this again. This is fun. Oh, this is I great.
1: I am not surprised that this went two hours.
0: Yeah, I'm not that either. All... I figured it was gonna go three, but uh you know, I've been up since four in the morning and oh dude, you, you gotta get some rest in. For sure, I, but I, I, i loved i loved this i can't wait to do it again so next couple months let's do it again hit me up make it a thing I,
1: you know how to get a hold of me i absolutely well, I, we we uh, talk we talk so you're never as, that far as much as i cower as you were saying the the kind things that you did about my work i i genuinely appreciate it um I I always I, I'll just this quick short story. When yeah. I was doing that that photo residency I mentioned earlier, yeah, um, it was the very last night we were going to be in Germany, and my instructor comes over to me. And mind you, I I have all the respect in this world for this man because he headed up the thing, but him and I never saw eye to eye. We just we just couldn't. Yeah, um, he was much more a studio oriented photographer. Was all about controlling the environment, was very old school, only ever shot film. And I, I respect it, absolutely. Um, but, you know, he'd see my work, especially at shows, and just right over his head. But um, he came up to me, and I had done this photo series that wasn't of bands for once. I, I did more of a landscape thing. Um, I could share some of the photos with you sometime it's basically what i called this like walk of grief um i was in paris a year after the Bataclan attack
2: oh yeah
1: and so i i felt this responsibility because i i met uh i believe it was a tm or someone that uh was working for eagles of death at the time i had met him years before uh when he i think toured with machine head and I only knew because I remembered his face when I saw the news clip flash that he was one of the victims in that terrorist attack. So I, I scouted out all the places that were affected in that attack. And I took these photos of different memorials and the outsides of the buildings. And it was this, this walk of grief, this sort of uh, pilgrimage of sorts that I took to kind of experience the essence of that neighborhood a year later. Hmm. And I I mean, I was just a visitor that was there for a week. You saw that there was a lot going on in people that lived there. Um, I had this very odd moment of speaking very broken French to a gardener at the park across the street from the Bataclan. And he asked me if I knew anybody. I pointed at the name of the guy that I admittedly had only met once when I was a teenager. And there was clearly some other tourists. And we all kind of shared this very odd but really beautiful moment of grief together where we all just kind of stood silently in the park looking at all these flowers that are still being brought a year later, all these notes, all these candles. And I, I sat a block down at a bar uh, to finish the night and it was the one place that only um, the terrorists had been killed. No, no casualties that were innocent were there. And I looked up, and the one nameplate that they usually had that would list victims, it was blank. And I was later told, it's blank because the only people that died here were terrorists. God. And so I've, I've presented these photos, and, you know, it's this heavy, heavy thing. I'm not expecting anybody to, like, just come up to me real easy talking about it. But, of course, who does? My photo instructor. Yeah. And he says, hey, you know, I'm really glad you went. Because even if I don't understand your work, I can honestly say this. You always surprise me. Yeah. And the fact that's the only compliment I ever received from that man in, like, the four years I had contact with him. It's so satisfying and hilarious all at the same time.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that's that's that thing, that that uh transcendence of generation that I was uh alluding to there. Um you don't have to truly understand the, the, the situation, the nuance, but that reaching not across the aisle but up to you know that next that, that last plateau, it should be actually, because they're the ones before us uh, and bridging that gap and, and having that moment of recognition, it's worth everything.
1: Yeah, so that was my way, my long way around the tree of saying, I'm not used to the compliments. And so if I'm like, throwing in a ball over here, it's I'm just not accustomed to it, but I'm very grateful for it.
0: But I am, I am first and foremost, uh, as I've said, A million times i don't have people on here who i'm not a fan of so uh i am your fan and that's why you're here so it's mutual i appreciate you for coming on i'm beholden to you for it i hope we can do it again soon like i I said say the word we'll we'll set it up all right my friend you have a great night and uh i'll hit you up when this is ready to go so you can prepare yourself for the uh
1: (laughs) The onslaught of love. Oh, boy. <laughs> Get some rest, man. All right, my I'm brother. Enjoy some time with your your son this weekend. I sure will. Make sure to just hunker down when you can't. <laughs> I try to. Those, those moments come too few and far between. Like I said, I, I've worked with kids before. I literally lived with kids before and took care of them. Those, those times are way too valuable. That they are. All right, take care, now.
0: from all of us at 333 AM studios. He's been Benedetto. I've been Peter. You've been beautiful. And this has been The Book of Very Very Bad Things Podcast. Be good to each other everybody. Free Palestine. Free fucking Palestine. I'm not against the Jewish people. I am very minutely Jewish myself, hereditarily speaking. But let's just cease fire, free Palestine, and get it together. Peace and love, everybody.